The scripture reading today is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 in its entirety, verses 1 through uh, 13 of Isaiah 6. This is the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not, not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Please turn now to the sermon text. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 21. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, for the sermon text. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Thus far the reading of God's word, let us pray. Almost glorious Heavenly Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is your word, and we are your people. We ask that you would bless us as we spend some time in it this morning. We ask that you would glorify yourself at this point, that you would glorify yourself through the one who speaks and through those who hear. And we pray these things for your glory and for our own good. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So brothers and sisters, where are you going? Where are you going? Where we're going, and how we're going to get there, and who it is who is going to receive us when we get there, is the message that the Apostle Peter has for the churches today. There are two themes in this passage of 1 Peter that I would like to highlight for you. The first deals with our Christian pilgrimage. The second, with holiness. So I've divided today's sermon into two sections. The first covers verses 13 and 14, and it's called A Pilgrim's Progress. And the second deals with verses 15 through 21, and it's called Meeting the King. So part one, the, A Pilgrim's Progress how many of you who are taking a long journey don't bother to think at all about how you're going to get there? And who among you, who is meeting anyone of importance at all, sets out without any concern who it is you're going to meet with? All of us go places, and all of us think about our destination. We think about how we are going to get there. We consider the proper attire given our destination. If we will be received by a person of any stature, or if we are going to a formal affair, we dress differently than if we are going to a friend's house or to the beach. What, am I, what I'm getting at is that if we are going somewhere, we're giving some thought ahead of time to where we're going and how we are going to get there. And that where you're going affects what you're doing now. In short, if you're going somewhere, you get ready. What Peter is telling you in verses 13 and 14 is to set your sights on that destination. And as he says in later verses, you are to do what is necessary to get there. The first word of verse 13 in the ESV, therefore, 
communicates that these verses here follow as a consequence of what he said before. Because you've been born again to a living hope and have been made by God, by God's grace, into an heir of the king himself. These are the reasons that you are to heed what he is saying in today's text, in verses 13 through 21. Those indicatives, those statements of fact, precede these imperatives, these commands that we see in today's text. God's gracious redemption precedes his call and command that we be holy. So verses 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, have to do with motion. And the apostle only allows for one of two directions. Advancing or retreating. Going forward to the destination of every true Christian. Or backward to the ignorance and darkness of unbelief. The revelation of Jesus Christ and the hope of the Christian that looks forward to it is opposed by the apostle with backsliding into one's former ignorance. Peter says that you will either press on with your eye on your destination or you must fall into apostasy. There is no third alternative. Forward or backward, says the apostle. This makes you a pilgrim people, a people who have not yet fully arrived at your goal. No matter how long you've been a Christian, do not become complacent. Don't assume you've arrived. Those who've been Christians a long time can easily think that way. But no, you too are still a pilgrim. The church is less of a castle and more of a caravan. But if you are walking through life without a thought to where you're going or who it is that you're going to meet with when you get there, you may not really be going anywhere at all. As I said before, a person who is going somewhere gets ready. If someone you know said he was about to take a very long journey, but you notice that he hasn't made any preparations at all, you'd think he was kidding you. People going somewhere, actually going somewhere, are active. They're active in their preparations. They're taking thought of where it is they're going and who it is they are going to meet up with. If you're not swimming forward actively against the tide of the world, if you're not committed to forward movement in the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ, you're simply being carried along by the currents like a dead body. A living man, unlike a dead man, he beats the waves to arrive at his goal. A true traveler with his destination in mind, his behavior is characterized by intentionality. But if your Christian life looks like the proverbial dead man's float, if your heart is dead to God's call actively to pursue that holiness, that holiness that is required of all who would arrive at this destination, then beg the Lord to come before the tomb of your heart to let cry his Lazarus come forth. 
Only he can soften your heart and animate your members for the struggles of the Christian life. And so bring you out of such a grave of inertia and complacency. Peter's telling us that we need to be ready for action and of a sober frame of mind for the Christian pilgrimage. If a work deadline or something even more foreboding like death, something like that is drawing close, such will have a sobering, focusing effect on one's mind. Frivolous things and trivial matters recede into the background and you focus all your mind on what is important on what is approaching you, to meet it the best way that you can. Peter is telling the churches, of which you are one, that this forward movement of following after Christ requires nothing less than everything that you have, and the journey ahead beneath your cross, and also the impending encounter with Christ at the end of your pilgrimage, that all of these things ought to have a sobering effect on your mind. It ought to produce the kind of intentionality that characterizes the pilgrim's progress. And the reason Peter gives us about just why meeting the Lord Jesus Christ should have a sobering effect on one's mind is the subject of the second main idea in today's passage. So part two, meeting the king, verses 15 through 21. Meeting the king. We are told by the Apostle in verse 16 that we must be holy because God is holy. Our pilgrimage shall conclude with an encounter, an encounter with the risen Christ. The end of our journey will be nothing less than an encounter with our holy God. What does it mean to encounter the holy? Recall Isaiah 6. We are going to the very same place, beloved, that Isaiah went in this morning's scripture reading. That's our destination. It will be a joyous occasion, but do not lose sight of the fact that this is no casual affair. Traveling there is no casual affair, nor is arriving there a casual affair. Meeting the living God in his temple is to enter a place for holy beings. Note how even the holy, immortal angels, who never once sinned in thought, word, or deed, still shielded their eyes from the piercing brightness of his countenance. To see and be with someone so dreadful in his holiness, so blindingly radiant in his glory, that even the glorious, sinless angels must protect their eyes from his face. That should sober one's mind. A person who is actually going to meet with such a being, such a God of infinite glory and perfection, will gird up his mind and act with seriousness of purpose. Such a person knows that he must prepare himself for that day and acts on that knowledge. You don't want to stumble through life distracted and oblivious as to where you are actually headed. And then suddenly find yourself presented before the being described by Isaiah in that passage. This is why we're told that we must prepare ourselves to come into this presence 
by endeavoring to be holy in all our conduct because he is holy. Such a demand as our living God makes upon us here requires daily diligence and an ongoing conscious resolution. No one who has ever come into his presence has ever done so casually, has ever presented himself before this God cavalierly. Consider righteous Job and how his complaints over what had befallen him were utterly silenced. His mouth was stopped when he caught a glimpse of God. At Job 42, verses 5 and 6, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The Apostle John records in the book of Revelation what it was like when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the dreadful radiance of his glory. As familiar as John was with our Lord during his earthly ministry, being as he then was, the disciple whom Jesus loved, there was nothing at all familiar or casual about his encounter with the risen Lord, seated upon his throne in all of his awful majesty. He reports, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Dress accordingly, people of God. For this is the one whom you are soon going to meet. Without holiness, no one will see God, says the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews. This passage we read today is telling us the same thing. Peter is telling us that we are not admitted where we claim we are going unless we are holy. I call upon any who are here today who have not yet come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to do so without delay. I call upon all here who are not trusting in his righteousness alone for their salvation to do so. I plead with you to do so. For to meet with this holy God without being first mantled in the righteousness of Christ is to meet up with an all-consuming fire. By faith, Job, when confronted by the divine majesty, he repented in dust and ash. You shall meet this Holy One too. You shall meet this Holy One. So be reconciled to God now, while the time for reconciliation remains. When he comes on the clouds in his glory, the time for repentance and reconciliation will have gone. Men in their desperation to avoid the majesty of him who comes to judge all the earth will, we are told, claw at the earth with their fingernails to find a hiding place. Those who are not in Christ by faith will beg for the mountains to fall upon them, rather than come face to face with him. Repent and believe the gospel, and seek him while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Earlier I called upon you to dress accordingly. 
to be properly attired when you come into the presence of the majestic risen Christ. Only one garment, brothers and sisters, is white enough. And that is the wedding garment of the Lamb's bride. Those alone who are mantled in the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ can both survive the wrath to come and come in his courts to worship him in the splendor of holiness. The dress code in that place is the perfect glittering righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ that are ours by faith in him and in his work. That being said, beloved, remember, Peter is telling this to the churches. Churches already comprised of believers who are already justified by their faith in Christ. Churches made up of believers who are already mantled in the righteousness of Christ. And yet he still commands to pursue holiness. Why? Though you be his chosen bride by grace through faith, though you be accepted in the beloved, you are still only a helpmate suitable for him through the personal holiness required of you in today's passage. He does not admit whitewashed tombs still filled with dead men's bones. Those whom he truly justifies, he truly sanctifies. Be ye holy is the command the glorified risen Christ gives to his bride. And the reason he gives is because he is holy. So I will close as I opened. Brothers and sisters, where are you going? Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gracious redemption in Christ. But help us to remember, O Lord, that you have not called us unto darkness, but unto light, not unto iniquity, willfulness, and sin, but to holiness, that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Help us to heed these commands of the apostle, putting our faith in that Christ who not only justifies, but who also sanctifies. We pray these things in his name. Amen.